The Bear Essentials Podcast gives older bears a place to gather for real talk regarding topics and issues that they can relate to. Here at The Bear Essentials, we aren't just having conversations. We are looking to provide actionable intelligence through real-life experience and expertise of our guests. Our mission is to build a strong community that elevates and motivates people to go beyond their limiting beliefs by helping them realize that getting older is not an excuse to hibernate on their goals, but a reason to work harder. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Charles Wallace. Today's guest is a former British soldier. He's also a best-selling author, TEDx speaker, a Guinness World Record holder, and an extreme adventurer who has raised large amounts of money for children impacted by war zones around the world. Currently, he is a TV personality and one of the stars on the British TV show, Haunted. So without further ado, let's jump into my interview with Jordan Wiley. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Bear Essentials podcast is sponsored by Fire Beast Jerky. With flavors ranging from tropical flair to sweet reaper, Fire Beast has something for all jerky lovers. And with over 30 years of experience making small batch, big flavor jerky, Fire Beast is sure to deliver quality, affordable jerky directly to your doorstep anywhere in America. So head on over to firebeastjerky.com and be sure to use code BEAR10 at checkout and receive 10% off your order from Fire Beast, the heat that is sweet. Hey, Jordan, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing? Oh, great. I'm, I'm, I'm good, Charles. Thank you for, for inviting me on the podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, Jordan, I really, really appreciate it. So um, I, I just recently discovered some of the things that you've been doing, and I, I have to admit, I was amazed. And I said, holy hell, I would really love to have Jordan on the podcast because I think the audience would really appreciate some of the things that you've, you've accomplished. So could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, no, yeah, with pleasure. And um, so, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm an ordinary guy, really. You know, I'm, I'm a normal guy who, who I, I sort of grew up. I didn't do too well at, at school, if the truth be told. I, I had my own challenges. I was, uh, I guess, a bit of a naughty teenager uh, would be the, the simplest way to put it. Um, I didn't do too well at school. I, I sort of left with no real qualifications and, and sort of learned the hard way at about 16 years old uh, when all my friends were going off to sort of college and university. Um, I, I had no sort of prospects at that point. And fortunately, the British military give me the opportunity. We were a bit different, I think, perhaps than than the US, where we can actually join straight from school at 16 years old uh, and were recruited into the, the armed forces there. So I, I, I joined the, the British Army and I spent the next 10 years there and got to, to travel the world to some some great places and obviously some not so nice places. Um, and but I guess for me, the, the biggest thing about being a soldier and, and I guess what I what I take from that experience and journey, having left now 12, 13 years ago, I think was the values that was sort of installed in me and the values that I was taught. Things like courage, respect, integrity, loyalty, discipline, uh, selfless commitment, you know, those sort of really important values and I guess character traits that that help you sort of navigate, you know, through life. Um, I think I think that's the the really important thing, and they're, and they're the same things that I try to share with young people today because I think it's values are something that can can differentiate you from the rest of society if you can really harness them and live by them, um, and and they're really important. I don't 
I should say as well, I did go back to school as an adult. When I was in the army, I went back and did a bachelor's and master's degree. So I, I went back and got my qualifications. So, you know, work hard in school kids because it is important. Otherwise, you have to go and do it as an adult. And it's no, it's, it's not much fun when you do it as an adult because you've got to pay for it as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's last 10 years I've been doing extreme adventures, uh, writing books and and bits and pieces. And yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not one of these sort of adrenaline junkies. I'm just somebody who loves the spirit of adventure, going to to new places, meeting new people, you know, trying new foods, uh, immersing myself in different cultures and and just learning about the world. You know, it's a it's an incredible place full of uh, really amazing people. And I just love trying to absorb as much of uh, as that as possible, really. Well, Jordan, I just want to say um, I I love the introduction, and I and I had to um, knowing what I know and some of the things I've seen that you've done and accomplished. Um, I love that you introduced yourself as an ordinary guy. Um, I thought that was because uh, I'll tell you what, for an ordinary guy, you've done some extraordinary things, and I and listening to you talk about what you you know, developed in the military as far as those characteristics and things, the selflessness, the commitment, all that, it, it, it does make a lot of sense. Cause I think some of the things you've done, like I said, are really, really incredible. So, so Jordan, as far as the military goes, would you say your adventure, your adventure spirit, was that something you had from a young age? Or do you think that it was the military that somewhat being in the military that kind of put that more instill that more in you and you know i think yeah i've, I've always been somebody who who loves adventure and uh, even from a little you know being a little kid a little boy I, I would be wanting to climb trees and you know make a den or camp out overnight or go fishing or, or just be running around in fields or whatever it might be so i think i think the the the, the spirit of adventure has always been with me since uh being a child and and to be honest actually quite the opposite when i was in the military because i think we were probably so busy with things like Iraq and and the conflicts that was going on at the time, I actually didn't get to do as much adventure sort of training and things as I'd like. So although a lot of people who go in the military get, get these amazing opportunities to do things like that. And don't get me wrong, I had some great opportunities, but I think it was more after leaving the military. And to be honest, it, it probably linked closer to my own mental health and well-being than it does the military, because I, I found that just getting in the great outdoors is is one of the best medicines you can have. And, you know, whether it's super, super cold or super hot, I just love the extreme environments. I love how it tests you as it tests your resolve, your resilience. It, it tests your you as a character. And I think when you're for me, I love going to very remote places, often places where people don't really venture to or they don't really want to go to. And I what I love about that is, is that when you're sort of in such a remote or extreme complex environment you're sort of stripped stripped completely of of everything except for your own sort of physical and psychological capabilities and i think that's where you you sort of really find out what you're made of when you're stripped of everything but your own physical and and mental sort of strength and resilience and yeah, for me, it was, I, I had, like everybody, you know, I'm no different. I, I've come out of relationships and had tough times and, you know, had work stresses and those sorts of things. And and sometimes it just gets the better of you. And I think, you know, we have to look after our mental health. And I, I was diagnosed about eight years ago now with, with uh, severe depression and, and chronic anxiety, but it, it wasn't linked to the military. It was linked to my, my personal life. I think, coming out of a, a long-term relationship with the, the mother of my daughter, you know, and, and 
I guess seeing my my the mother of my daughter move on and start a new family with another guy and had more children and things i found that very difficult to to accept and to process and 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 i don't anymore find it difficult now i i sort of respect the process and and respect both of my 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 former partner and a, a, a soon to be husband or whatever um but and i found i was holding actually a lot of negativity inside me for no other reason you know not because that person was a bad guy or you know, he, he he was anything negative just because he was the new guy. And I had all this negative energy inside me. And 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 actually it just it just weighed me down and it made me, you know, what what one thing that I've learned in the last being a soldier and being a sort of civilian or adventurer is is that you can never change the past. You know, what's done is done. Uh, you can't do anything about what has happened. So if you if you focus and you dwell on the past, it will only bring you down and tear you down. But what you can absolutely do is you can take all those lessons, the things that you've got wrong and made mistakes with, and you can apply them to your future and make sure you don't do it again. And I think with any sort of problem or, or trauma you've experienced, you, you have to sort of have a bit of a, I would call it like a growth mindset. Take it as a as an opportunity to learn and move forward, not not as a, a, a something that's going to weigh you down and anchor be be an anchor to progress in life. And I, I I always even if even today, you know, if I have some bad news or or something doesn't go to plan straight away, I've sort of rewired my brain to say, okay, let's take some positives from this. What we're going to learn from this situation because. All the successful things that you do in life are, of course, they're great and they're amazing, but you don't really learn that much when you're just good at things all the time. And it's only when you start making mistakes. And and unfortunately, the bigger the mistake, the bigger the lesson that you have to take from it. And that's 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 the way the world works, whether we like it or not. <laughs> Man, Jordan, thank you for that. That's I, I think that's so, so many people, I think, especially men, are going through that because I, I think let's be honest i think as men we're more afraid to uh open up about it so i think someone like you being willing to come on a show like mine and talk about it i think that's really helpful to others uh to be more willing to open up about it um so jordan as far as i know god you've done so much and i know we only got about 45 minutes so i want to kind of condense it to give the audience a little bit of a flavor of some of the amazing things that you've done. Um, I know after the military, you went into maritime security, I believe. Um, and you've written a few books. Uh, one of the books I believe was called Citadel that, that talked about your time in security, uh, dealing with the, uh, Somali, uh, Somali pirates. Uh, could you, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess like, um, you know, when I was in the, in the military, I was, a uh, because I didn't have any qualifications when I joined the army, you, you, you're quite limited and restricted in terms of your role. And and um, fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at life, you're if you don't have any qualifications, you go into a combat fighting role. So, so I was in a, a an armored unit. So tanks was sort of my speciality, if you like, and um, main battle tanks. So when you come out of the military, you know, there isn't much scope for, for fighting troops in civilian life uh, and hopefully never will be, you know, we don't want that, but I think, a lot of people who have served on the front line as as frontline soldiers, we we transition into the private security sector. You know, and the same in the US, as as we know, you know, lots of these these men and women go out to places like Iraq and Afghanistan as contractors. And when when I left the military in two thousand and sort of nine, um, I went straight into maritime security. That was like the 
the emerging threat of Somali piracy at the time. That that was like what was, was sort of bubbling away off the east coast of Africa. And I was given up an opportunity to go and work on these sort of oil tankers and cargo ships to to protect them as an armed security guard. And I just sort of moved my way up through the ranks from a sort of team member to team leader to operations director. And, and you know, it was a great, again, it was a great adventure. I always see these things as amazing adventures because I got to travel the world. I was spending a lot of time around the Indian Ocean and and even though the Somali piracy aspect was was can be quite dangerous and tough. I, you know, I was spending a lot of time in some quite glamorous places like like Dubai and the Seychelles and Mauritius because that's the Indian Ocean. So it, it wasn't as 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 perhaps challenging or tough as 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 it might seem from the outside. We, we didn't have a difficult job really, um, and of, of course we were well armed, we were well trained. We always had the upper hand against you know some very poorly trained, poorly equipped. Uh, armed uh, criminal gangs or pirate groups, whatever you want to call them. And I, I yeah, I, I wrote a book about, about my sort of five years doing that. And it, it, the book fortunately did really well and and what have you. But I, I, I tried to tell a balanced story because I think it's very easy to sort of see the West as the good guys and, and the local pirates as the bad guys. But I, I wanted to tell a bit more sort of reality of the situation because you know, the Western, the, the shipping industry, which was primarily from the West, we were dumping toxic waste in their waters. We were offloading sewage. We were exploiting their fish stocks, uh, you know. So the pirates often, they they saw it in their eyes as a way to fight back against, uh, you know, an unfair sort of society at the time. And so so I, I don't think it was ever as clear cut as, you know, we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. Um, you got to remember Somalia, for many years, didn't have a functioning government. It, it, it had a lot of lack of opportunity, a lack of governance, a lack of prospects. Um, you know, most of the country didn't have jobs and the salaries were very low. So I think it's very easy to take the high and mighty ground and say, you know, we were doing a good job protecting things, but actually we were making a lot of money out of an industry and and, and somebody else's problem. So I'm I'm not. I don't think naive enough to think that we were we we were just great guys doing a great job. I think we were part of a something that was a lot more complex, and I, that was the story I, I tried to tell. I, I I just tried to tell the story as I saw it as a as a young lad from you know a, a normal upbringing, and and I didn't have any hidden agenda or strategic objective. I just said what I saw and and how I saw it, um, and and there was as many bad things going on in the security industry at the time in terms of. You know, people moving guns around the world illegally. People, um, no trade. You know, lack of training, lack of competency from from ex-military guys and girls and things. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to tell the truth and 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 not maybe what the media was reporting. Yeah, it seems like nowadays that uh, there there definitely is a. I I don't even think it's a fine line between the truth and sometimes what's reported to us. So I, I really appreciate your openness and honesty the way that you uh the way you spoke about it and when i was i haven't read the book but when i was reading a little bit about it and i i did i i took that from it uh the balanced way that you you know we're we're talking about it um so i i can really appreciate your openness and honesty about that so jordan as far as your adventures um kind of want to tie this together a lot, it seems like a lot of the things you do, your adventures, you kind of wrap it all into raising money and awareness for for worthy causes and charities. Um, 
I think that one of the figures I've seen, I think as of now, you've you've raised well over a million pounds at this point, I believe, all in all for for numerous charities. So what you talked earlier about a growth mindset, what 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 finally clicks in your head? You go, you know what? Not only do I love the adventure, let me see what if I can use it to actually do some more good and to help raise money and awareness for things. How does that kind of come about? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think for me, the, the reality of it is it's having a purpose in life. I think when I left the military as a soldier and, you know, you you sort of take your your uniform off and your medals and, and you stop polishing your boots for the final time and all that sort of stuff. I think you you although you don't really realize it when you're in the military, you actually lose something quite special. You know, you lose a part of you the moment you you walk away from that career and and you don't really appreciate that until it's gone and i remember sort of being lost for quite a few years thinking you know where do i fit into society now what's my role because as a soldier that's all i knew from when i was 16 years old you know i i everything my my, my life was so structured and disciplined i knew where i had to be what i was wearing what my purpose my job was and and life was quite actually life is very simple when you're in the military you know it's it's a lot simpler than people think because everything is sort of there for you to just just stick to the plan and nothing will go sort of go wrong and I think when I left the military I really struggled to adapt to, to finding where I fit back into society and one thing was sort of my mental health breaking down with my with my former partner as I was mentioning and I was looking for a way to sort of rehabilitate myself and I found adventure in the outdoors so I started challenging myself with you know with expeditions whether it be climbing rowing paddling running and I realized that you know this was something I love doing and I thought well what about if I can have a positive impact on the world by doing something that I love doing uh, and I thought that's the jackpot if you can do something every day that you love and it can benefit others well we're all winning at life and I, I, and that's what that's what sort of I, I that's the mantra that I've I, I've taken forward I think when I was a soldier serving on operations, I, I, and you know, I would I'd lost friends and colleagues, uh, uh, you know, in conflict zones. I I found it difficult, but one thing I found even more difficult than losing friends and colleagues, uh, strangely, was seeing what I seeing the 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 impact of war on children in conflict zones. I've I was always able to sort of process when I lost a colleague because it was in a weird way, it was part of the process of war that people would, you know, that, that soldiers die. And even though I don't, you know, even though it's tragic and it's sad, I could understand that, 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 that soldiers get killed in conflict zones. That is, you know, and if it's, if your time is up, your time's up, so to speak, which is of course horrific, but what I could never really process and still today struggle to process is when I see children being maimed and blown up and killed and things. And that's something that really sticks, stays with me and keeps me awake at night these days. And so what I sort of pledged to myself was that I would love to go back to some of these, these places and try and have a positive impact on the children's lives. So, so primarily a lot of the, the causes that I help are, are for children in very complex countries and, you know, post-conflict zones like Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, Libya, Syria. So they, the Ukraine, we just returned from the Ukraine recently. So, we, me and a, a group of other people who have all volunteers, we, we just try and give a little bit back to, to children in conflict zones because one of the few things that, that inspires hope for, for a better future I've learned in life is education. And when you go to these conflict zones, 
children just want to learn. They want to play and learn. You know, they're, they're not interested in the politics. They don't want to fight. They don't want to get involved in that. They just they just want to learn and 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 and, and live in peace. And it's, it's a great tragedy when you see these kids with no families, no homes, and they're living in refugee camps and, you know, they have no real life or they're just existing. And it's like, I always feel it's like the world's forgot about them and they've just dropped off the face of the earth and that they're just in some faraway country that no one's really heard of or and they're just sat in the desert or whatever and I don't know I made it my mission to try and go and help a few of these kids and of course I'm ne I'm never going to change the world but what I've learned is you you can change the world for a couple of people out there if you really want to and I think if, if you can you should <laughs> yeah man I I just as you were talking about that I was last night I was doing some you know research you know getting ready for this and just seeing some of the pictures and some of the children, I mean, even, you know, just it, it does, it tears at your heart. And it's like you said, Jordan, these, these children didn't ask for any of this. And it's amazing that someone like you is out there looking to help them. Um, you mentioned about going back to some of these places. Um, obviously, like I said, you've done a lot of adventures, but I think that kind of leads in a good segue into this. Um, one of your I'll call your ventures and one of the things you've done uh the book you've you've written another book uh running for your life um you've went back to a lot of places that you served and you were you were running you know basically running doing things there to raise money can you talk talk a little about that yeah so I I wanted to go back to places that I'd sort of worked or or served in and I went back to, I, I set up a project about probably five, six years ago now called Running Dangerously. And the idea was to to do running adventures in, in dangerous countries or perceived to be dangerous countries, I should say. Um, so I, I went back to, at the time, which was considered three of the most dangerous countries in the world, which was Iraq, Afghanistan and Somalia. And yeah, I was I was sort of running long distance endurance races and runs, you know, I, things like the Marathon of Afghanistan. It's... Uh, uh, one of my favorite adventures, actually, to run in the marathon of Afghanistan was amazing because I think, one, it's, as you can imagine, it's not one that a lot of people are queuing up to get in. You know, there's, you, you don't see many people in the marathon of Afghanistan. Um, so I think to go there and do that and, and see Afghanistan from a different side, which wasn't security or guns and bullets and war, uh, was was incredible. It was the hospitality of the Afghan people was was on another level. You know, I, I saw more acts of kindness, of love, of of humanity in that adventure than I've ever seen. You know, the Afghan people are very special people. And, you know, contrary to popular belief, you know, it, it's, it's like the UK or the US. It's only a small percentage of people that are the bad guys. And it's no different in places like Afghanistan and Iraq. You know, generally most of the people in these countries are incredibly loving and warm people who who just want the same as everybody else peace and and love and and that sort of stuff um and i really wanted to when i wrote the book and and we sort of filmed a documentary as well i i wanted to show people that I wanted to challenge the perception of Western media to because you know you you know yourself you flick on a news channel about Afghanistan and it will only ever be negative things it'll be it'll be war and guns and bullets and Taliban and and I wanted to show a side of Afghanistan that wasn't that and 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 that's most of Afghanistan you know I, I went there we, we I did a marathon in a place called Bandi Amir which is in central Afghanistan because I wanted to get right into the heart of Afghanistan and it was probably 
the most beautiful country, uh, probably up there in my top three most beautiful locations that I've ever visited, you know, up there with the likes of Antarctica or, or you know, the Arctic Circle. or It, it was just majestic that the landscape, the people was was on another level. And and I wanted to tell those those stories because that's the stories that people should also hear alongside all these negative things. And um, so, yeah, it was really important for me to, to 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 tell the story of what I would call the real Afghan people, you know, not just the Taliban or or the bad guys. Um, and, and the same in Iraq and, and Somalia, Somaliland. All these places were filled with with lots of positive things. It was never. In fact, my, my, my three experiences in those countries were predominantly positive, you know, so I, I have no complaints or nothing bad to say about the people I, I met and experienced. Man, I gotta, I gotta tell you, Jordan. You, um, just one of the things talking to you. You're to me. You're, you're definitely like this light. You're always looking to shine about the positives on on these on some places that are definitely perceived and in, in a different way. I'll say so. Uh, kudos to you for that. Um, couple of the other adventures I wanted to talk about. There was one that I read that you did that really, um. A lot, like I said, a lot of amazing things you've done, but there was one that really stood out to me. I've had the, I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to interview a few people who have, um, you know, been Everest. Um, and I saw that you, uh, climbed Kilimanjaro, but you did it barefooted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I like to do things a little bit differently, I guess. And, and, and to be honest, the, the, the sort of story behind this one, this was, yeah, probably nearly 10 years ago now. Um, and a couple of my friends from the military, they were going to climb Kilimanjaro, which is is, is a big mountain. It, it's certainly not on the scale of, of Himalayan mountains, you know, the Everest and 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 the 8,000 meters far from that. In fact, it's it's a it's a relatively well, it's the it's the biggest freestanding mountain in the world. It's it's the it's they call it the roof of Africa. Um but it's it's an achievable mountain for anyone who's got a decent level of fitness and a bit of you know grit and determination. Um, so it was it's definitely achievable for, for for a lot of people. And you know, I, I I we were doing some fundraising. One of my my friends he wanted to fundraise for a, a cancer charity because one of his family members had been really affected by it. And I, I I looked at the sort of Kilimanjaro challenge and I just thought, you know, tens of thousands of people climb this mountain every year. It's it's a very popular mountain, um, not just for mountaineers, but for adventurers, for even, dare I say, tourism as well. Mm. And I, I just thought if we're going to raise some money here, we need to do it differently. We need to we because how do we differentiate ourselves from the rest of the world that's trying to climb it for a good cause? So I, I I proposed to let's do it with no shoes on, let's do it barefoot and give it a bit of identity, call it barefoot warrior, and we'll we'll climb it like some of the local tribes do. And of course, my friends thought it was a stupid idea, it was bonkers, it was crazy. Why would we do that? Um, but but they supported my idea and and they came and, and we did it. And I and yeah, I I did it with no shoes on. It took a little bit longer, um, a few cuts and grazes, but we raised. You know, it was interesting because it, we, I raised like nearly seventy thousand pounds, which is I don't know about a hundred thousand dollars. And we, um, for me, it was my first real sort of insight into like you don't have to be the fittest or the fastest to raise a lot of money, but you got to do things a bit differently. You got to be like innovative and creative and and sort of capture the imagination of the public. You know, because that was the only thing different that I did from the other I don't know twenty thousand people that went up the mountain in that year was 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 just take my shoes off it was quite simple but 
it captured the, I don't know, the hearts and minds of people. And that's when I realized, you know, when I think about things like the Afghanistan marathon, people go, oh, that's crazy. You know, you go into a war zone and you're running a marathon, but actually all I'm doing is running a marathon in a country that I've been to many times. It's, it's when you jazz it up and you give it a sexy name and a logo and a website and, you know, and you put an AK 47 in your, on your website or something like this, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, this guy's crazy, but it's not, it's, it's everything that I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I, I risk assess everything. And if it's too dangerous, I certainly wouldn't put, you know, I'm a, I'm a dad to a 13 year old daughter. I, I wouldn't put my own life on the line to go and, you know, just raise some money and, and, and do an adventure. I, I value my life a lot more than that. So it's, it's never a, about ego or adrenaline. It's, it's about purpose really uh, more than anything. So I have to ask you, Jordan, as far as the adventures you have done, things you've done in your life, um, two parts to this question. What would you consider the hardest thing you've ever had to do as far as your adventures? And the hardest thing you've ever done, is that also, would that also be the same thing that you maybe wouldn't do again? <laughs> Good question. Um I think there's two sides to it in in terms of there's the hardest physically and there's the hardest mentally. I, I, I think mentally the hardest thing that I ever did was I was uh, attempting three years ago, I attempted to be the first person to um, stand up paddleboard around Great Britain. Um, and I, I lasted for, for five months. And unfortunately, we were, as you know, we went into a global pandemic and, and lockdown and, and, the, and the British government, in fact, the Scottish government, they sent me home, which was which was psychologically sort of quite brutal after you just paddled for 149 days and you'd completed three sides. I'd done sort of the bottom, the left and the top of the UK. So I still had the right hand side to go. And then to be sent home after after paddling for so long was 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 quite, quite traumatic mentally. Um, and also getting up every day in a cold, damp wetsuit at like three o'clock in the morning. And just because that was when my weather window was for the tide and trying to paddle in, in complete darkness in sub-zero temperatures, you know, that was mentally torturous. So I think mentally, but but at the same time, it wasn't physically the most demanding. I think physically, I I did a, a marathon in a, in a mine, an underground mine um, a few years ago. And we had to wear all the sort of miners' gear, you know, like the have the mask on us and and the boots and and all the stuff. And it was a Guinness World Record for the, and it still it still stands actually. It's the deepest underground marathon. It was a thousand meters below the sea, and I think just the levels of cramp that I was getting in the muscles and um, the humidity in the mine. It was it was and and the fact that I wasn't because I'd been on a paddleboard for like three months before it. I had not trained for a marathon and and the worst training you could do for a marathon is literally stand still on a paddleboard, I guess. Uh, so it was, it was one of the physically most toughest things that I'd done, even though on paper, it was just a marathon in a mind, but because I'd not trained or prepared for it, um, it, it was incredibly difficult, but I think psychologically trying to paddleboard around Britain in a, in the middle of a pandemic was really tough, but most importantly from that challenge, actually we raised, we raised enough money to build a school on the horn of Africa in, in Djibouti. Um, which is really interesting place, Djibouti, for Americans actually, because it's not a place that a lot of people have heard of. But it actually, it actually has. Djibouti is a tiny little country, and I have a lot of American friends there. Bizarrely, because although not a lot of people in the UK or or the US have heard of 
of Djibouti. It actually is home to the largest US military base in Africa. Uh, so it's 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 right on the Horn of Africa next to Somalia. Um, and they have Camp uh, Lemonier there, which is a lot of my a lot of friends that I've met from the US military who I've dived with and and sort of done water sports and adventures out on the Horn of Africa with their their base there. So yeah, a bit of bit of bit of knowledge there for the Horn of Africa. Well that is interesting. So so as far as upcoming, do you have anything in the works that you're planning on doing or any, you know, anything that's in the immediate future? Yeah. So in three weeks time, I'll be heading to the North Pole, the top of the world. Uh, yeah. 90 degrees north. So I've, ne- I've never been there. So it'll be a bit of a dream for me to, to stand on, on top of the world, so to speak. Um, so this is part of this is actually the culmination of of, of what we call a, in, in the adventure world, a marathon runners grand slam, which is seven marathons on seven continents plus the North pole. Uh, so that will be that, that hopefully I will finish the North pole marathon in at the start of April and, and become part of that little club there. Um, and then I'm back to Africa later in the year to visit the school we built and take some people whale shark diving. Um, so yeah, lots, lots of weird and wacky adventures for the year ahead, which is, is exciting. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm I'm just trying to have fun and, and live a, a fulfilling life. I'm, I I don't make a lot of money. I live a very uh, simplistic, humble life, but I I have a great fun, you know, doing my my daily job. <laughs> Man, Jordan, I'll tell you what. I just I feel like um, one of the, I was so excited to speak to you, and part of me though is the more I the more I learned about you. I said, wow, this is this is someone I could speak to for hours. Um, and I, I wouldn't do that to you. I wouldn't torture you. That you might that might end up being the hardest thing you ever had to do was speak to me for a few hours. <laughs> um, but no, man, I uh listen, I'm already sitting here thinking, I hope Jordan will uh agree to do a part two at some point later, later in the year, early next year. Yeah, no problem. Some of these sure. additional adventures. Um, Jordan, I want to end it like this. I know you spoke a little bit about the mental health. Um if you had to give a message today to anybody that's struggling and maybe it's just not mental health in general, just they're struggling with maybe their weight, you know, their depression, whatever it is, what what would your message be to them to try to help them, you know, get through it a little bit? I see. Actually, it's a good question. It's a tough one as well. I think, I think when I, I always try to sort of think about what I've learned in my life and and I think, you know, when I've tried to avoid issues or or, or or sort of push them aside, they don't go away. Those issues sort of get bigger. So I think one of the biggest things you have to do, whatever the issue is going on in your life, whether it's love, business, relationships, mental health, physical health, I think you you have to take responsibility. You have to look yourself in the mirror and 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 de- you know if you're deciding that you want to change something, only you can do that. And you you have to believe in yourself as well because. You know, I, I spend a lot of time trying to get other people to believe in me, you know, sponsors and, and donors and things. But but actually, it's got to start with you. It's got you have to 100 percent live and breathe that goal, whatever it is, if it's to lose a couple of pounds or if it's to get an, a better job or or if it's to work on your own mental health. You know, you, you've got to wake up every day with a goal of of, of willing to, to, to try and be a better person. And I think you also have to appreciate that, that you know, excuse the cliche but Rome wasn't built in a day you know you're not going to get better tomorrow it's a work in progress and and also it's 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 okay not to be okay you know we we I have bad days where I feel I don't want to get out of bed I I can't be bothered today or I don't want to see anybody that's that's normal that's that's being human I don't think don't don't be so harsh on yourself don't be too brutal on yourself as well 
Um, I think, you know, you it's it's okay to have a down day and a dark day and a bad day as well. Um, it's when you start having a lot of those, that's when it becomes a, a concern. But but speak out to people as well. I think one of the worst things that I didn't do for many years was was just bottle it up and, and hold my my feelings of anxiety and depression inside me. I think there will be people around you who you trust. Maybe not everybody, but there'll be people who love you and support you and care about you. Um, and and if you don't want to speak to them, speak to a professional, someone who who you don't feel like you're going to be judged by. You know, speak to a medical professional. Or uh, many times I've been to psychotherapists, and 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 there's nothing wrong with that. You know, these are people who deal with this sort of thing every day. And I would also say you're not alone. There is thousands, millions of other people going through what you're going through. And so people have experience and and knowledge of this sort of thing. But yeah, you know, you, 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 every day is a new day. You know, somebody said to me once, I think he was a US Navy SEAL, and he said to me, never quit today, always quit tomorrow. And of course, tomorrow never comes because you, you, you know, you, you feel better. You feel, you feel a new person tomorrow, you know, after a good night's sleep and you've had a rest, you feel a new, a new person. So yeah, I, I think attitude is everything in life. I think, you know, the, you, you have to stay positive, uh, positive, positivity is infectious as well. I would also say keep good company. Think about the people you surround yourself with because I, when, when I look back on, on my life, even in recent years, I, I've surrounded myself with people that were sometimes quite toxic and negative influences. Um, and, and, and it's easy to become a product of that very quickly if you're not, not careful about who you, who you spend your time with. You know, spend, spend time with people who, 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 who inspire you, who, who you share the same values with, who love you and you love them and you can help each other. Um, but yeah, you know, it's been a, privilege to be on the podcast Charles and um, if I can ever help in the future just give me a shout anytime Jordan thank you so much um, just where can people find you at uh, like to end with that yeah I'm on um, my website is jordanwiley.org um, I'm on uh, Instagram and LinkedIn uh, that's the only ones I'm on these days I try to minimize my time on these digital platforms because you know but I want to be outside but it has great benefits because that's how, how we found each other <laughs> yeah well, Jordan, thank you so much. Um, obviously, best of luck with all your future adventures. I hope not only do you succeed and crush them as far as your own goals, but I hope you raise a hell of a lot of money uh, along the way. So thank you so much. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Really appreciate it. Take care. Bye. This has been The Bear Essentials. Thanks for listening, and remember, never hibernate on your goals.